listening to Vicious Cycle, the podcast about periods and the people who get them. I'm a co-blost, Meg Trowbridge. I'm Kate Elston. And I'm Meg Hayes. Kate, what if someone's listening for the first time and now they're going to think that you pronounce your last name Elston? Elston, that I'm a robot, that I'm talking <laughs> like a robot. Well, uh, for those of you uh, who are coming back from last week, we are completing our interview with Dr. Kate, incredible gynecologist um, and personal friend now. Like, yeah. I think we can all say that sincerely. She's our auntie. She's our auntie. She's Dr. our Kate. soccer. She's like our soccer mom or like our house mom. If if we were in a sorority, she's our RA. She's yeah, my, she's our RA. She, she's <laughs> totally our RA. <laughs> she's like the cool, cool neighbor who I was like, I'd love to be your friend, but um, I'm too shy to even ask. And or like the people anyways. that you babysit for that are like closer to your age that you want to go hang out with but you're like uh I always have to babysit for you when you go hang out so we can never be friends that's how it is that's Dr. that's Dr. Kate that's it that's Dr. Kate that's Dr. Kate in a nutshell (laughs) well last week we asked her all sorts of uh weird questions about our bodies and uh, this week, we've got some more for her. We get to the bottom of ovary ruptures that we discussed in the episode about ovaries. Uh, she talks to us candidly and very openly about her miscarriage and what then sparked um, her opening a miscarriage clinic. Um, and uh, she gives her theory about why we stop bleeding in pools. So, so important. Something to uh, think about if we ever get to go to public pools again. Um, but there's so much more so this episode has everything Um, Kate brought up a good point before we started recording does anyone have any interesting Mayhay you you survived your first non-pill period I did I survived it it was they should make a TLC show about you honestly so Um, brave uh, I had it Sunday through I believe Wednesday and then spotting Thursday. Oof. So, cool. so you still know, shorter than my periods. That's cool. That's cool. Five. <laughs> what is that? Five days. I believe on the fifth day is when I thought it was gone and then I coughed and a massive red splotch <laughs> fell perfectly on the pad. So you blarted. <laughs> I no, I queefed. I bleef. I queef believed. I don't know. Quaffed. You quaffed. I quaffed. I quaffed <laughs> right into my pad. Thank God. Um, it was while I was teaching, and I was like, okay, God, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. And I just walked into my bathroom and pulled down my pants, and I was like, phew, okay, I'm back. <laughs> so that's the fun of working from home. So yeah. all these teachers saying they're having a hard time, hey, they can at least run to the bathroom every time they, anytime they want now to check to see if their pad caught their bluff. Their bluff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So um, I survived. It was it was good all around. Not bad. Nice. I'd do it again because I have to. <laughs> <laughs> ten out of ten would do again. I'd rate it one star. <laughs> but have to do it again. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> told, I'm told that's how this works. <laughs> um, I am two and a half weeks from uh, go time. Oh, my God. Holy Let me just double check that number. I mean, number. technically, since this is coming out next week. I'll be a week out. Oh, oh yeah. God. So this could be the last time we speak. We have one more episode on the books after oh this, God. but we might not get to it because oh <laughs> um, 
my I saw my OB. I've told you guys. I told I texted you this before I texted Carl. Um, I saw my OB. Thank you, thank you. Priorities and are still as straight. It should be because I was like, he won't get the the intricacies of how cool he doesn't this care is. about the os. Um, yeah, I saw he does not. Um, that wasn't in your vows, to be fair. No, but it is in ours. Yeah. Um, yes. I saw my OB, and she. It was the 36 week exam and she that's when she checks for where the baby's head is to make sure it's pointed down. And if it's not, then she would give me exercises or something to like spin the baby around. Mm. But she felt my abdomen, didn't feel the head. So she went through with her hand to into my vagina, into the cervix with a glove and kind of did the like, eh, like, you know, when you're like uh, under the couch looking for like a penny and you're like, <laughs> e, 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 e. it was that face. And she was like, oh, Yep, I feel a skull. A skull. A skull. A in, skull. In you. There's a so she so that's good news. So and the baby has a skull. Baby has a skull and it's pointed down, which is good. And she said the position of the baby is at fetal station zero. Apparently there's like plus five, minus five. And so zero is like kind of at this point it's a good place to be. Nice. Um I think when you're minus five, that's either minus or plus, I can't remember which, that's delivery. That's like you're pushing. So zero is like she's in the pelvis. You're halfway there living on a prayer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, got it. And then she said my cervix is also effacing. Like it's it's thinning out nicely. Mm. So everything feels to be in a good position. And she seemed really pleased with all this, that like the baby probably won't move at this point because she's so low. And which explains why I'm peeing so much. I've also had terrible heartburn the last couple mm. days. I've been gassier and more nauseous than I've ever been. I just think like things are shifting. Yeah. Um, so that all points to like go time. And so she said this was all good news, but I didn't in that moment follow up and say, okay, does that mean I'm going to be early or not late? So I texted our dear friend, Dr. Kate, Dr. Kate. who said we could, or I emailed her and um, she said, this is great cervix news. That is a quote. <laughs> great cervix so news. So Dr. Kate. And our, our RA slash cool older babysitter friend, Dr. Kate, <laughs> said that um, it probably means that I will be on time. No yeah. promises, but like I this okay. Probably, so that means well, I'm making the money that we all bet, even though we there didn't was no really money. No money. on money. There was no money. Just bragging, just bragging rights. rights. But I feel just really happy about that. That everything seems to be working, and the baby's the baby's doing the right thing. Yes, you know what I was so thinking exciting. about because throughout the pregnancy, things have gone really smooth, and every so often Kate will say that, and then kind of like have a face like. So who who knows what scary thing may happen, you know? And I'm like, you know what I realized? I think all the way through birth and labor is going to be smooth because last year you had like so many people up your butt, <laughs> you know? Like you've been through- literally for the, for yes. the hemorrhoid you're talking about. Yes, you this had is payback. The world's most outrageous hemorrhoid and so you deserve a very smooth labor like I just I'm certain of it you're so right right last year was enough you get an easy oh my god birth also I haven't had hemorrhoids this whole pregnancy yeah which is I think truly a miracle Mm. I might after labor you tend to do but I remember when I saw my doctor about the hemorrhoid she was like because I was trying to get pregnant at that point and she was like, yeah, when you get pregnant, you're, it's going to come back. And it hasn't. Nice. So Thank God. fuck you, hemorrhoid. 
Well, we'll have a post-birth Dr. Kate episode. Dr. Kate will be coming back for years to come. Yeah. Let's yeah. just, um. well, before we get to it, though. Oh, Meg, did you have an, any update, Meg Tro? Oh, you know, just my little mini period update was that uh, we went on a one-night van venture. And uh, it came? It, yeah, I mean, of course. Well, actually, I knew. Like, I knew that it was like, as we were packing, and I was like, <laughs> don't forget period stuff, period podcast host. I forgot any sort of period thing. And I was just like, you know what? Who fucking cares? I'm like, that's the beauty of hosting this podcast is I'm like, so I'll stain. All right. So I'll have a story. Yeah, great. So, I mean, they're going to ask what happened. I got a story. <laughs> I got to give them something. At this point now, I'll just find weirder and weirder places to get my period without products. But Love that's it. all. And it was light. It was fine. I survived. Nice. Yeah. They should make a TLC show out of that, too. Thank you. I've been through so much. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Before we get to Dr. Kate, though, we have a phone call from a listener. (laughs) And here it is. Hey, Blos. This is Elaine calling your dedicated listener here in Chicago, listener and bleeder. So I basically wanted to talk about my recent IUD experience. I have a fantastic gynecologist, and I want to nominate her for some kind of award because she is just amazing. I went to go have an IUD put in, and after using an ultrasound to try and help, and four speculums later, she just stopped and said, you know what, I am not going to traumatize you doing this, and I have an appointment next month to have it done as an outpatient surgery under anesthesia. So I just want to maybe propose that it not only with a read my labias, but maybe a uterus hero of the week, because my gynecologist is my hero. Hope you, hope you ladies are doing well and staying safe in the pandemic. Keep bleeding. Bye. Hero of the, uterus hero of the, of the week. week. I love, I love that. I adore that. Also, Really love just her very subtle Midwestern hero, uterus hero of the week. Oh, so good. that's how we can say it. Yeah, from now on, uterus we're, hero. We're giving it hero. <laughs> um, ugh, I love it. Well, you're uh, Elaine. Congratulations, your doctor has won the award. You nominated her, first and she won ever. First ever. I don't, it's actually funny that you mentioned it because we were going to give it out. Yeah, so. to your gyno. That's crazy. <laughs> um, because we did. Am I crazy? Did Doctor Kate say? That was an option last week. Did we? Yeah, because last week, remember, Dr. Kate talked about how when she had her C-section, they implanted it right after they took out the baby in the placenta. Mm -hmm. So it is a thing that can be done. That's so cool. I would love, Elaine, for you to call in and tell us how that surgery goes. Yes. Um, Follow-up details. Sounds fascinating. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks, Elaine, from Chicago, Midwest. 9106 uterus for anyone with a story. If you want to nominate your uterus hero of the week, hero. Um, please let us know. Um, great. So let's get to Dr. Kate. And then after this, dear listeners, Meg Hayes is going to talk a little bit about her follow-up colposcopy. Mm-hmm. So um, stay tuned for that. But let's get to Dr. Kate. Do-do-do-do. Let's get to Dr. Kate. Um, what is your take on sea sponges? Do you know anything about using those for... <laughs> okay, judging by your face, you have no idea what we're talking about. Um, apparently, sea sponges can be used and inserted to soak up blood as a form of a period product. Do you know anything? It's very of- hippy-dippy. 
And I think European, maybe. I think it might be more popular in Europe. I am not against trying new and innovative ways to make periods more tolerable. I would be hesitant to put something inside that has not been fully sterilized and that might come apart. I worry that sponges might not have a ton of integrity. And the last thing you want to do is leave a piece behind. Yeah. So I'm all for exploring and for studies. Um, That one I have a little bit of apprehension about, but but I'll read the research. We should do an episode on sea sponges because I don't fully understand what they are. Like I do, but maybe I don't. We read about them in Cunt, right? Yeah, we did. Like some real hippy dippy. But I, I think I've shit. read, I think I've come across them in the the many different areas of bleed search that we've done. We actually, I think we had a phone call about someone that uses it. We'll look into it. Um, I've we did a really fascinating episode on ovaries too, which Meg Tro led, and I think maybe one of the harder episodes to wrap our heads around just because they're so, but like super fascinating. One thing that we came across, or that Meg came across, is the idea that ovaries could rupture. Not the cysts within the ovaries rupturing, but like Meg, you had like heard from people that said this happened and it wasn't clear if they were talking about a cyst or not. I had two separate friends who were hospitalized for internal bleeding and they both told me it was like a ruptured ovary. Uh, they thought they were just having really bad menstrual cramps and were like, geez, it's never been this bad before. Oh, well, carry on with my day. And it went on so long that then they like passed out and had to be, um, you know, taken to the ER. And they both described it as like a ruptured ovary. And but then as I was researching that for the ovary episode, I couldn't find anything that was named ruptured ovary. It was all related to a cyst or maybe an ectopic pregnancy. So I'm just curious what what WTF. are the yeah yeah WTF Dr. Kate <laughs> I think I agree with your bleed search I think your friends probably had ruptured hemorrhagic cysts which would be the fancy name for a cyst that's bleeding too much um, blood is really irritating to the pelvis and it can be excruciatingly painful it is possible though not super likely that you can bleed so much to need a transfusion Usually doesn't happen that far, but it can be serious enough to get you a a brief stay in the hospital. And I have seen ovarian ectopic pregnancies. They're supposed to be so rare. You see them once in your career. I've so far seen it twice. Um, And I think you could describe that as a rupture if that pregnancy sort of blew out the side. But the ovary itself is pretty good integrity, and I can't see any other reason. Yeah, why? There's no just... spontaneous ovarian combustion. No, there okay. is not. So, Phew. Cross so you that off my worry list. Off but... your nightmare list. Right. Yeah. That is not something that's going to happen. Great. If you're comfortable, Dr. Kate, we would love to talk to you about this article you wrote in Glamour about your personal miscarriage. Listeners, we'll we'll put this article in our show notes. It is so touching and, and heart-wrenching and, and just really insane. So yeah, Dr. Kate, if you could just tell us and tell the listeners what you went through. You have to understand that when doctors get medical things, they're always really weird. Nothing really (laughs) normal happens if you're in the healthcare field. You get the really bizarre stuff. So when I was 29 weeks pregnant with our first baby, we had gotten pregnant the first month off the pill. I was like, whoo, 
thank you birth control for obviously protecting me for so long. And it had been a completely uneventful pregnancy. I was giving a lecture at the hospital, ironically enough, on pelvic pain, and I passed out. And I woke up in a room full of residents and was doing my usual, like trying to make them feel better from the floor. And then then the pain really started. They brought me by ambulance to the emergency room. And they said, maybe this is your appendix. I was like, this isn't a nappy. I don't know what this is, but that's not what it is. And they contemplated an emergency C-section, but you don't want to take a baby at 29 weeks if you don't have to. So they got another x-ray. And when I got up for the film, I collapsed and became unconscious. So got a super dramatic C-section in the emergency room behind a curtain by two of my very good friends. And they tried to save the baby and couldn't. And they just saw blood everywhere. So brought me to the operating room where a trauma surgeon said, wonder if it's your spleen. Because there aren't a lot of things that can take you down in your 30s when you're pregnant. And as it turns out, I had an aneurysm, a sort of outpouching of a blood vessel that had exploded near my spleen. And the these are not very common, but when they happen, they happen in pregnancy. You've got a lot more blood flowing through your body, and so they tend to rupture in the third trimester. Um, babies almost never make it. Moms almost never make it either. Wow. So I woke up in the ICU with no memory oh of any gosh. of it. Oh, my gosh. And... The story, when I tell the story and I talk about like the importance of a good partner to go through life with, when they took the tube out of my mouth and I could talk again, my first question was, did the baby make it? My husband said no. And I said, do I have my uterus? Because I'm a gynecologist and I didn't know. And <laughs> I thought, well, that's, that's a good thing. And he said, yeah, you still have that. I said, great. And he just said, voice breaking, I need you to have babies with. And I thought, oh. we're going to be okay. <laughs> oh. And... You know, everyone was amazed by, like, you know, they presented me at Grand Rounds while I was still in the ICU, and I'm trying to find nurses' station computers with my IV pole to try to, like, research what had happened to me, because, you know, it's it's easier to lose yourself in numbers than it is in grief. Um, yeah. And then I couldn't get pregnant afterwards, because I developed a condition that's really rare called Sheehan syndrome that all gynecologists get tested on, but no one ever sees it, and it comes from losing so much blood as a pregnant person that you necrose your whole pituitary gland. Whoa. And again, it's on the tests, but we never actually usually see it. And so then I couldn't get pregnant. And so needed a little bit of fertility help. I felt really lucky that it was only four months worth of fertility help, um, two months of Clomid and then two months of IUI. And then we're able to get pregnant. And the editors wow. of the magazine had said, we would love to read your story. We'd love to get your story. And I said, I need a happy ending first. So I said, once I get through all of this and get to take home a baby, then I can write the story up. And that was what happened. Yeah. It's a really amazing written, <sighs> amazingly written article and Thank so you. touching. And um, what was it? How did that affect you as a doctor, as a gynecologist to go through that? Well, on the like big side, it was like, I thought I was pretty empathetic before. I don't think I needed this in the universe to like become a more empathetic. I was good. I was good. I was. Um, But it certainly like makes me more plugged into people's pain and grief. On the pragmatic side, I learned all the stuff that we do to patients when they're in the hospital, right? Whenever doctors get to be a patient, you just get to see the whole system from the other side. So for instance, I don't know like what all your worries are about being in the hospital, but sometimes you get a catheter in your bladder. They don't actually hurt. Like having it in, 
some hair. I was like, oh, funny. Look at that. Noted. And, and having staples removed from your belly didn't really hurt much either. I was terrified of having the staples removed. I had 52 staples and only five hurt. The other 40, <laughs> the 40 I were fine. <laughs> um, but we also like wake patients up all the time, you know, constantly and draw blood all the time and do all these things that make you not be able to sleep and heal. And so it has definitely changed my perspective about how we take care of patients in the hospital. And then it inspired me opening this miscarriage clinic because I think that we do a really shitty job of taking mm. care of people with miscarriage. I think it's that people don't know what to say. They're so quick to try to kind of get right past it to your next pregnancy. MedT ectopics aren't often considered miscarriages when they damn well should be. It is still a pregnancy <laughs> loss, right? And so I now not only have this clinic where once a week I get to take care of women who are doing, going through all stages, I actually wrote a book really? called The Miscarriage Guide. And I just found a publisher this month and it's going to come Yay! out next October. That's so <laughs> exciting. Thank we'll have you. to have you on again just for that book, just to promote. Yeah, the book. absolutely. <laughs> well, um, I wrote that book because I, it was the book I wanted to have when I had my loss. And I was a doctor and I knew some shit and I still did not know all the things I needed to know. So it's sort of a doctor's guide with my personal story in it about both the medical aspects and the emotional aspects. And I cover all the miscarriages. That's going to be so important to so many people. I hope so. Oh, that's amazing. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. And and now you have two kids, right? Now I have two. Yeah. So I have uh, an 11 year old who is my, my fertility baby. I then had a quote unquote regular miscarriage at six weeks. Um, and then spontaneously got pregnant with my last, I was sort of anticipating needing fertility treatments and then it just happened. So yeah, I have my happy endings. I don't remember when this came up, but what is vaginal relapse? (laughs) We had written it. That was a note in one of our like docs somewhere. It was like vaginal relapse, question mark, question mark, question mark. So no context for you, Dr. Kate. Just what is it? Why why did we hear about it? I don't need context. Well, actually, what I keep hearing is like vaginal redux in my head when I read that. It's actually vaginal prolapse. Prolapse. Okay. And so if you were trying to Google it, that's where you're actually like your vagina's relapsing into a life of alcoholism. (laughs) (laughs) Prolapse. Thank you. Um, But the reality is not nearly so much fun. So okay. Well, we like to laugh about it. Okay. Yeah. So the vagina is a muscle like any other, and it can get weakened, and you can get a bulging out through the vagina of your bladder, or your rectum or your cervix and uterus kind of falling down. And so you can have oh. prolapse on the top, from the back, or from the middle. Yikes. Oh. Yeah. It's a later in life thing usually. It is a post-pregnancy and childbirth problem most of the time. Um, it is very common to have some degree of prolapse if you've had a couple of kiddos. C-section doesn't necessarily save you because it is the nine months of being pregnant and all that pressure on your pelvic muscles that puts you at risk. And most people are not very symptomatic from it. This is where Kegels are good, helps strengthen them, all the muscles in the vagina. Sometimes people need medication or need surgery as they get older if the symptoms get worse. All right. Well, That's you know what, what we is. asked. Yeah. You know? yeah. So. Now we know what we have to look forward to. Seriously, Kegels. I can't say it enough. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Kegels are not necessarily easy to do. So if you are not sure you're doing it right, ask your gyno or your nurse practitioner because what they can do is like this is the way to test yourself is put a finger in your vagina and see if you can pull your finger in further. That's that's how you that's how you isolate the muscles. People talk about stop peeing right in your bathroom, stop the flow of urine. Don't do that. You start freaking around with your urine, you're gonna give yourself a UTI. Uh-huh. So if you want to practice, just one finger in, or you know, I guess I could use a tampon, but just you want to see if you can pull it in. Those are the right muscles. And so that's mm-hmm. what you want to sort of isolate and do reps throughout the day. And you'll get I'm doing them time. right now. Me Every too. time someone says the word Kegel, I'm like, oh, five, five reps. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're getting into more of our like miscellaneous questions. So get ready for no context um (laughs) popcorn questions go for it yeah uh let's see tell us about this idea of eating soy drinking too much soy milk and having it affect your estrogen levels is this a thing is this a thing that you have to be like chugging soy all day to affect your estrogen levels i know um i have a coworker who's sister got breast cancer and it was environmental and so now she's like i you know terrified to eat anything with soy could you talk a bit about that yeah so i think the body is pretty good at self-regulating levels of hormone and so even if you are taking in more estrogen than necessarily you should be if you're a soy milk addict i think your body then just down regulates the production in other ways and it for the most part keeps things kind of stable. Mm. When people go through menopause and they don't want to take hormone replacement therapy, they'll often take soy sort of Mm. as an estrogen substitute because it's one way of trying to get some of that estrogen back in your body. If you're a cancer survivor for probably almost any of the female cancers that might be estrogen sensitive, the advice is to stay away from all of it because you don't know if that could cause you to have a recurrence of the cancer. Oh, interesting. But I think you can have soy milk in your coffee and your cereal. Like you can eat soybeans. You can live your life. And it's not like people who are vegetarian or vegan, right, who probably have more soy than the average person have more period problems, for instance, or have a higher risk of cancer. You okay. know, most people are not ingesting things to that degree where it's hard to really throw things off. So enjoy huh. your latte. But it sounds, <laughs> but it does sound like if it's in your family, like would you would you suggest to a patient who has like a a history of cancer, of breast cancer, to lower their soy intake or their I wouldn't because I think it's one of these things that you are going to be destined to get it or not. Anyone with a family history probably wants to get at least a consultation around whether they should get genetically tested for the BRCA gene because then you sort of go down this whole path like Angelina Jolie was so open in talking about, right, all of her decisions when she realized she was positive. Um, But otherwise, I don't think you're going to influence your chance. It's not like the estrogen gives you the cancer. Mm Okay. Okay. Um, we did we did have some fertility related questions from our fertility episodes. Um, I may, think Meg Tro, you wanted to ask about HSGs. Yeah, um, Kate and I both have had the pleasure of uh, an HSG. Um, I mine. Let's was, remind the listeners what that is in case. Yeah, let's are remind the non. Let's non- remind Meg Hayes what it is. <laughs> So it's a the it's listeners. A, it's for the listeners, everybody. I okay, Kate, Doctor Kate. Let's see if I can remember. Hysteropingiogram. Nope. 
Hysteropengography. How close are we? It's something in the middle. Hysterosalpingogram. Salpingogram. Okay, gotcha. Sure. Hippopotamus. Got it. But it's... (laughs) (laughs) Hippopotamus. Um... Uh, it's when uh, they send dye through your uterus to then go out your fallopian tubes to ensure that you have clear tubes uh, to check out your fertility. At least I think that's that's the reason both Kate and I did it. I don't know if there's another reason why you might get an HSG. Just for fun. It's, um, it's wild. If you ever had doubts about whether a sterilization procedure took or not, right? If you're not sure if... You were, you know, tubes tied is a is a euphemism, but if you had any kind of procedure and you, for whatever reason, weren't sure it worked, they would do an HSG to make sure that those puppies were blocked. Okay. Gotcha. Smart. Um, so, I mean, this is very, tell- this is basically, this, I could just text you this, um, but since you're here. But that's why is, we have the podcast. That's why, we, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so my HSG, they had to, they made three attempts and each time the catheter popped out. And it wasn't able to get through. So that's why I'm like, okay, it seems like the tubes are blocked. But because it was inconclusive, they want to do other tests and then COVID happened. And so everything's kind of on hold. So I'm just curious, what, like, are there multiple reasons why it's, why the catheter might pop out or like why it's, why it won't make it, why it won't be successful? I think sometimes it's just a technical problem with the catheter. You know, it's not always a straight shot in through the cervix. Sometimes the cervix is a little bit almost curly cue. Like the the path through is a little bit odd. I mean, it's not quite such a tight coil, but meaning it's not just a straight line. And I wonder if they were having just a difficult time sort of navigating the bends of it a little bit. Hmm. Um, So one of the things that can happen, right, is where they push the dye in and it doesn't go out either tube and the pressure builds up and then the catheter flies out, but they would have to have injected like a lot of dye for that to happen. And if they never quite got that far in the procedure, I wouldn't say it's because your tubes are probably blocked. I would think it's a technical problem where they just couldn't get the catheter to stay. Oh, interesting. I mean, so they did get to the point where they were, where the dye was, where they were releasing, they opened the floodgates. Uh, and then, it, and then it all, it was, it was a, I mean, not a blood bath. It was a brown bath because I think the a sterilization. It was Weird. a disaster zone. Yeah. Um, but but it's like the the doctor doing it kind of. I think, I you know me. I just you know it's not. It's I don't always have the perfect person there leading me through. So the person was getting frustrated with the failed attempts and like before the third attempt, she's like, "Okay, if this doesn't take, it's most likely that your tubes are blocked." And I'm like. Oh, and that's, you're going to tell me this now. Okay, super. That's great. Which um, was really bitchy and unnecessary and completely born out of her frustration and nothing to do with your body. Okay. Yeah. Ugh. Could be. Could be. I, I mean, I I do, I feel like there's the topic which also adds to, okay, there that could all be related. But it is interesting to know that the cervix plays a role in a successful HSG. For other people who are getting those very fun, um, so weird procedures, so weird. <laughs> Thanks for having my back, Doctor Kate. 
Yeah, Dr. Kate, she sounds send like a she's curse. a bitch. Send yeah. a curse to that doctor. <laughs> yeah, I've had an HSG as well. I'm sorry, Meg H, that you're the only one on the call who has not gone to the glory Bummer. of having an HSG. <laughs> well, but I seen... get a colposcopy tomorrow, so Ooh. you guys Ooh. can just sit back while I'm <laughs> getting my cervix scraped for the second time. Woo! <laughs> Fun times. <laughs> if they don't use local, Meg, ask to cough whenever they take yeah, the biopsy. It I works. will. Yeah. Um, that's what I did last time and it was super helpful. I was more just like so scared last time because I just didn't know what to expect. And then, I don't know, I just need to set myself reminders tomorrow to like eat an hour before and take all the appropriate meds. Mm, Pops Madville. Um, part of me wants to like take more um, anti-anxiety medication, but I think I'll be okay. Um, I don't want to push it. Um, but I think it was just the anxiety of not knowing what was going to happen. And I think I didn't understand that it is a biopsy. I thought she was going to check and then make a decision in the moment. I don't think I realized that a colposcopy is a biopsy. Like it's all in one. It's the best practice. The recommendation is that if you get to that stage, like you deserve to have biopsies to get an answer. Right. And, And now that I know that I feel so much safer knowing that they're checking and like it's a bummer that this is showing up for the second year that my body hasn't like gotten rid of the HPV. But I also know that last time it was such a low amount that, you know, I didn't have to come back for another year. So I feel pretty hopeful that it'll be the same outcome. Um, how do you, I mean, that's a, I mean, well, let's just segue into that. Um, how does, can you help your body or assist your body to get rid of HPV naturally? The one thing that is proven is to quit smoking if you smoke tobacco. Okay. We don't know. Well, about I am two pack a day. No. Yeah. I don't smoke at all, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. I was like, wait, Meg, I'm sorry, what? Have I not? <laughs> I'm really good at hiding it. Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing that is shown to definitely make a difference. Okay. I would say whatever boosts your immunity, right? Because like that's what smoking does is it sort of impacts your immunity. So do I think that taking high doses of vitamin C is going to make a difference? No, I'm not telling you to take supplements. But obviously, like, reduce stress, which in 2020 should be no problem at all. Yeah. Right? Um, That's you know, on my list for a variety of reasons, so <laughs> I'll just keep trying that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we need a YouTube channel of videos of women going through different kinds of procedures just to show people what it's like, because I think it would really demystify a lot of this, the HSG, a colposcopy, all of these things. So it's like, oh, okay, like, then you kind of know what you'll be facing. And I think it would do a lot to reduce anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. That would be wildly helpful. Because I, I think I felt fine <clears throat> when I talked to my doctor. And then a nurse called up for a follow-up. And she was like, okay, great. So make sure you eat something an hour before, like with protein. Ha- take a leave. And it has to be this much. And I was like, what? <laughs> I thought you were just going to like check me out. I thought it was just like a... a pap smear with a microscope like I I don't think I fully understood and so you know for someone with anxiety it doesn't take much for me to be like cool so I'm just going to be in a puddle of pain and have no control (laughs) over the situation um but again my my gynecologist is so 
wonderful and takes her time and and like walks me through it and checks on me multiple times to make sure I'm okay she's like the perfect doctor for someone with anxiety (laughs) um and I'm so grateful I found her so I feel like I'm in a much better place this time around yeah Back to fertility. Um, we talked to my fertility doctor on the show, who I adore, um, and she gave us just a lot of like in-depth knowledge about all things IUI, IVF. She also talked about AMH testing, um, which is anti-something-something hormone. Um, and she actually suggests that um, anyone who's curious about the, the state of their ovaries takes these tests they're they're like you know you can buy them online for like a hundred dollars but she also said that if you ask your doctor your either primary care or your gynecologist i can't remember that you should just you could just get those tests done um is that something that you've heard about dr kate like just being like hey gynecologist can i check the status of my fertility yeah there's more research coming out that the anti-mullerian hormone, AMH, is the most sensitive test for looking at what they call ovarian reserve, right? So how many, how many eggs you got in the bank. But it is a little bit tricky to always know what to just do with a number in isolation when it's not attached to you trying to get pregnant and failing or you planning to do IVF. Because there are so many things you need to be fertile, right? Everyone wants to know, mm-hmm. am I still fertile? Can I have babies? It's not just your ovaries, right? You need those tubes to be clear. You need your uterus to be okay. His sperm counts need to be okay. There are so many different factors that I would not want people to get a false sense of security mm-hmm. that the AMH AMH is okay. And so, okay, I'm good. I'm good for a while. It's, we don't know what a while is. We don't know how long this test is predictive. And it doesn't mean that everything else is okay. So I am all for people getting more information about their bodies, but you have to know really what you're going to do with it. Yeah. So. She kind of said that too. It was like, if you're young and you have low, a low number, that's a, that's a warning sign or something right. like there's, there's, there's immediate numbers that tell you information, but yeah, that it's just one data point. Um, is that something that you do? Like if, if, a, if a patient asks for it, can you um, order a blood test for them? I can, but it will not always be covered by their insurance. So got to be careful with that, too. If sometimes I cough and I feel a slight pain in my ovary, what does that mean in my ovary area? It's probably not your ovary because your ovary doesn't have a lot of nerves on it. It's probably your pelvic muscles that are just twinging for whatever reason. Okay, great. It's not cancer. It is not cancer. (laughs) And when talking to all the listeners – Random pains in your pelvis could be often musculoskeletal, can also be constipation. It is a condition like faced by a majority of the people I take care of because our diets are not awesome. You should be pooping every day to every other day. If you are not, probably need to do something about it. So that is just also back out there. But not your ovaries, not cancer. PSA, poo. Take a poo. I just got a laugh from Kev. So I don't know if this is a thing, um, but... I like for about five months straight um, just started randomly getting bouts of insomnia and it was very like I would wake up at 3 a.m. and sometimes would just stay up because I was like I'm obviously not going back to bed or would manage to stay in bed long enough to fall back to sleep by like seven to wake up for an eight o'clock call which was the worst. Um, But I finally 
recognize that it was happening, uh, like as my period was starting and, and it's just no, it's something that hasn't happened before. I assume it's probably also related to like pandemic anxiety. Um, but has that, has, is that ever a thing that people talk about? Sleep disturbances with your period, definitely a thing. Absolutely. It's, I mean, we talk about bloating and mood swings and cravings, but like there's a really long list of physical and emotional symptoms that we can all go through that's sort of within the bounds of normal. Um, so it is absolutely something that we hear. I will probably put it in the bucket of hormonal fluctuations that are what's mm. causing it, right? Mm. Um, which is a really also unsatisfying answer. And if it's the only thing that you're experiencing, then it like it can be a sign of PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. It's like one of the symptoms on that list, but you have to have a lot of symptoms on that list to kind of get that label. So if it's the only thing that's happening, it's just crummy and not a, not yeah. an indicator of anything. It is something that you want to manage with, you know, I don't know, sleepy time tea and sleep hygiene and all the usual things. Right. Um, but it's certainly sleep disturbances are a marker for some people of other anxiety or depression problems. Mm, yeah. Um, we have talked a little bit on this podcast about when you swim with your period. Why does it feel like that you don't bleed as much when you swim? Is that a scientific thing or is that just luck of the draw? You don't bleed in the shower, really, do you either? Think about it. You don't. You, right? It's maybe the first or whatever your heaviest day is. Otherwise, you don't. You also don't bleed at the gyno unless it's like the peak of your bleeding. Everyone's always so like, oh my God, my period. I'm like, I'll put pads down, but it's fine. And 97 times out of 100, nothing. No drops, nothing. Why? And, yeah. and then they bleed in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's that your uterus just holds, like, there's the whole free bleeding movement, which I am not very familiar with, right? But this idea of people who don't use products at all, but who just hold it in and try to control when they're going to pass the blood out. I think this is the uterus doing a little bit of that of mm. you don't really want to bleed right now. So I'm going to do you a solid and just hold that right back in until there's a time that's okay. And then it comes out. That is my theory. There is zero science behind this. But as okay, a person I love this theory though. As a person we... with a vagina, this is what's happened to me. Too. I don't bleed in the shower. I don't bleed in the doctor's office. But you yeah, bleed I right just... after. Right after. I always you, assume yep. It was something to do with like swimming and maybe like the water pressure gravity. and gravity working. But then showers. Who knows? Wow. Okay. This is guys. This is we're this is we're so on cool. to something. She's worth every penny <laughs> because we have talked to someone who was a free bleeder, but didn't talk about like manipulating the bleeding just like yeah I bleed wherever I have a chair I bleed on I work yeah. from home and I bleed through my jeans and I don't fucking care but and she, she didn't said, mention well she said that like the periods were short they seemed to end faster so maybe it was like just get it all all out one yeah. and done oh yeah that was another thing too that like uh do menstrual cups there there's a theory that menstrual cups because they're closer to your cervix and they collect your blood higher up that your periods might be actually shorter if you use a menstrual cup because there's less journey. I don't know. The lining is going to shed as it sheds. And I don't I don't know if how it's collected is going to make a difference with that. That feels like that's the uterus's decision more than the vagina and the products we're using. But hmm. I like that the uterus has a Whoa, brain. Whoa, we're paying for this study. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, we the are. The swimmer study. <laughs> because truth be told, if you wait like a little too long after the shower, you you will have a, a murder scene on your hands. Like <laughs> you really got to get that product in there quickly. Um, Meg, I let's ask one more or someone asked one more question, but I know that you wanted to ask about like a vagina length. Meg Hayes. Oh, thing. yeah. Did you want to do that? Yeah. So the last time I went <laughs> to the gynecologist, I was asking about menstrual discs and cups because I I've never really been able to use them successfully it doesn't feel good and it's hard to get it all the way up and she was like oh I think you just have like kind of a longer vagina I was like oh okay so I don't know what that means I don't know what vagina sizes mean what yeah what it constitutes a longer vagina is it just like a centimeter like <laughs> or canal like- length I don't know yeah like that that's not something I think I would ever say to a patient or even like, <laughs> or even comment like in my own head on. Sometimes the position of your cervix can seem to make your vagina longer or shorter because if yeah, it's like the cervix is sense. sort of in the way or out of the way. But I can't say that in general there's much of a difference hmm, from patient. Okay. Like, we're probably talking like, yeah, like a centimeter or so difference. I like think in my variability. cervix is in a really weird place like one time when and I know the cervix moves but one time when I got um a pap smear it was like up and to the right like it it's definitely difficult for people to find and I always prep my gynecologist like look this isn't going to be like an in and out type of situation (laughs) (laughs) I I need the following things (laughs) all right best tip for the hard to find cervix if you need a pap smear or an exam this is going to sound super weird, but it really works. Pull your legs back like okay. you were going to push a baby out. Okay. That position for the movies of, you know, persons holding their legs yeah. back because it opens up all the muscles in your pelvis. It shortens your vagina length and it brings the cervix down. In oh, all the reasons hey. why it's good for to live their baby, it's actually great to have a pap. And I've had a ton of patients who they say, like, no one can ever find it. It's really hard. And I say... I got a trick. And for people who have joint or hip issues, I'll have a medical assistant sort of help hold their mm-hmm. legs up. But nine times out of 10, I can not only find it easily, but then use the regular size speculum as opposed <gasps> to like the long ones, which are super right. uncomfortable. So right. might want to try that next time. Okay. Could I try that Pro during tip. my colposcopy or no? Absolutely, because the trick is okay. just in finding your cervix and locking the speculum in place. Then you can put your legs down. Like you don't need to keep them up the whole time. Okay, I might call the hotline tomorrow and let you know how it goes. Yes. Okay, so Dr. Kate, thank you so much for taking all of our rando questions (laughs) um, that we've had throughout the year and a half since we've seen you. Before you go, um, is there anything you want to impart upon our listeners just about like, you know, reproductive health in the age of Corona and whatever else and just final thoughts in general? I would say that accessing healthcare is stranger than normal, right? It's hard to necessarily get into your doctor. We're doing telemedicine more. And so some things may be able to wait. Most people can wait for a checkup as long as they're feeling well. But if you are not feeling good and something feels off, don't let the pandemic get in the way. There are so many stories of people not accessing care because they're so afraid of catching COVID when they leave their houses. 
you can do a lot of care on the phone, even with a gynecologist. We don't need to see, you know, your vagina to understand what's happening. You can talk about it enough. So don't let the pandemic get in the way of you taking care of yourself. Great advice. That's great advice. Oh, Dr. Kate, we love you so much. It's so good to see you while we talk to you. We look forward to these episodes so much. Yeah, we've been, we've been for the last like year and a half, just like, question for Kate, question for Dr. Yeah. Kate. Here we go. <laughs> Write it down. But um, thank you so much for being on Vicious Cycle. Thank you so much for your so time. so much fun. Thank you so much for having me back. We I love, love you guys. You. <laughs> we love you. Yay. That was our uterus hero. Yeah. Dr. Kate, our forever uterus hero. Our forever hero. She's she's the grand prize. She's the em- uh, what is it? A uh, hero emeritus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, love you so much, Dr. Kate. You're welcome back anytime, and we'll definitely have you on next season for the book. Like that yes. is, or whenever it comes oh, out, yeah. whatever season we're in. Um, that book is going to be so important to so many people. Yeah, it's going to be crucial. Um. Yay. Okay. Well, Meg, uh, Meg Hayes, you talked in both these episodes a little bit about your upcoming colposcopy, which was like the next day after we recorded. Oh, that's right. So you went to your colposcopy and then you called us. So remind us again, like you had one before. What is a colposcopy? Why did you have a second one? And then we'll play the phone call. So a a colposcopy is a procedure that happens after you have an uh what is that called kate uh, an pap abnormal pap no i was trying to think of the word oh yeah it's yeah, an yeah. abnormal pap smear um kate has also had a, a colposcopy or a couple of colposcopies i, I had believe. a I had a bunch yeah basically they give you like a great so so you get your um your pap smear it comes back as abnormal so then you do a colposcopy which is a biopsy and also just a way for your doctor to get like a big magnifying glass, not magnifying glass, microscope <laughs> or whatever it's called. I love, I love the detective with the magnifying <laughs> yep. glass. Or maybe it's a kaleidoscope. Hey. You know, <laughs> it's a gem. Um, it's a gem that you look through. Yeah. Um, to get a closer look at your cervix, just to make sure everything is okay and there's no precancerous cells. Um, because so abnormal I, could also just mean other things besides precancerous. It, yeah. So I think I, so basically the last time I had a very, very low grade of, I guess, HPV or abnormal cells. Um, so they hadn't come back in a year because they weren't concerned that it would, it would worsen in that amount of time. So I went back in January, I believe. It was still abnormal. I was supposed to go back in March or April, but of course the world shut down. Um, And so they were checking again. So, um, yeah. So I think I I kind of explain, I go into detail in in the phone call. Cool. So let's play it. Here's Meg right after her second colposcopy. Hello, everybody. It's Megan Hayes from the podcast. I'm standing in a little alcove just a couple blocks away from Kaiser because I just got my second colposcopy and I thought I'd call and tell you about it. I took my first cab since the quarantine. I was low-key terrified, but it was probably fine. Um, I got to the the, uh, hospital and I said, I'm here to see my gynecologist, which I could have said doctor, but nope. 
I was feeling ballsy today. So I just <laughs> said, I'm here to see my gynecologist. Checked me in, asked for a um, pee sample, urine sample, and I got stage fright, my friend. Couldn't do it. Um, waited Aww. 15 minutes, couldn't do it. They were calling me, trying to find where I was. Um, turns out the reason they do that is to make sure you're not pregnant. And so I told the nurse, I can 1 million percent tell you that I'm not pregnant. And she asked once the last time you were active. And I was like, over nine months. And she was like, oh, okay, you're fine. So, you know, all of Kaiser <laughs> knows I'm a massive prude. And uh, now all of you do too. Fantastic. <laughs> um, so I went in, talked to my gynecologist. She is really wonderful. She just kind of stood there, really relaxed told me what the procedure would be. I asked her about um, going off of birth control, um, but she assured me that it would be fine, that I should do it. And um, my cervix is insane to find. Just saying multiple gynecologists have had a massively hard time with it. Apparently, it's low and far back. So she tried to get in the duck lips the first time, it was really painful, so she took him out and had to do, like, a finger exam to, like, figure out where the heck it even was. And then she kind of re-got situated, and it was a lot better after that. Um, fun fact, you can't really do a lot of coughing when they scrape for your biopsy because, duh, COVID. So that was, like, a fun and exciting time. Someone from that apartment building just came, so that's cool. Um, I'm now on the streets of San Francisco talking to you all about this. Um, but I talked anyway because I'm scared of it hurting. Um, but all in all, I survived. I still have really weird rust-colored blood, which makes sense because we all know our period isn't just, like, blood from your from your body like you would get a scrape. It's tissue, right? So it makes sense that your blood after a colposcopy would be kind of a different color because it's actually a cut from your cervix. Um, anyway, that's it, I think. Oh, yeah. Also, I have a very small cervix. Fun time. So that's probably why all this stuff is so painful. So maybe I will never have a baby because I don't know where it's going to come out of. Okay. Love you all. <laughs> Keep calm and sleep everywhere. Bye. So it's low Far back and tiny. When yep. when you say tiny, is it tiny lengthwise or tiny like Oz opening? She did not specify. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I I guess I'll have to ask the next time. And the thing is, this so you've seen this guy now multiple times, and each time she has a hard time finding. I mean, it's just yeah, like it's you have a unique situation going on down there. Did you do mm -hmm. that thing that Dr. Kate had recommended, which was like put your legs up high? Yeah, and hold on to them. Did it work? Yeah, I did. I think I did that. Um, I, I'm i trying to think. I think I did do that when she tried to find it. And then once she found it, I was able to relax. Yeah, cool. Because then you're kind of like locked in. Oh, yeah. That feels so gross, but uh, that's, yeah. that is basically what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did do that. Yeah, next time I just need to like watch the doctor write it in my chart because it's just like, okay, I'll have to remember for the next time. I'm like, you have hundreds of patients you won't remember. Right. Type it in. And I, there. and I, and I tell, I typically tell them, um, like, hey, just a heads up, but I'm 
you know, I mean, that's, you got to advocate for yourself, even when you have a really awesome right. gynecologist. They have like, a ton she of has, patients. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, also, that's great. I didn't even think about the coughing. I know. Did mm. they tell you not to cough? She said just you can't cough too much because of COVID. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't want <laughs> to feel happening. this. That is so bananas. That yeah. Seems, you have a mask. Like, that's what I know. Are for. I know. It was kind of a bummer. And then so one of the times she, like, didn't warn me. And I was like, okay, but you still have to warn me when it's coming. Yeah, it was, I don't know. It was definitely different from last time. Mm-hmm. But I got through it. And then she scared the shit out of me when she described what a leap is, which we'll have to do a whole episode on leaps. But basically, that would be the next step if I... If you have cancer. If there's... I, I It might even be precancerous. Yeah. Um, but I didn't... I got back my results and it's still it's still low grade. So yeah. I have another year. That's good. Yeah. Dropping the cancer word really crimped my style when I was going to make a relevant quantum leap joke oh my but that just God. went right out the window now let's, no hear, fun. It. let's hear it we'll pretend we've we're back in time say the joke okay okay meg set me up by saying uh what a leap <laughs> oh is. yeah then like, she described what a leap was oh sure is that when you go back in time with a, a friendly uh alien type of person <laughs> nailed it <laughs> wow it's actually Worth when they it. take a hot wire and cut off a piece <laughs> of your cervix where the precancerous cells are. So she scared the fucking shit out so of me. So it's like the quantum leap I reboot. Left. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And then I was reading into like, she didn't tell me that the last time. So maybe this time I definitely have that. I was like, oh my <laughs> God. So I also love that you just went, because you know, as Dr. Kate's final thought in the episode was, don't not go to the doctor. Don't put off important um, procedures or seeing your doctor just because of COVID, you know? Um, so that's really good that you went and you did it. So good job. I did it and now it's done and I feel so much better. Yay. And I survived. Yay. All right. Um, well, again, thank you so much to Dr. Kate for being on this episode. Like uh, these past two episodes, we adore you. If it's not clear, you are our uh, uterine hero emeritus and our RA and our Patronus cool family friend. <laughs> yeah. Like we love you. You're our Patronus. You're everything to us. Um, so listeners, that is this episode. Thank you so much for listening next week. Fingers crossed. If I don't go into labor beforehand, <laughs> um, we will be speaking with dear friend of the pod, amazing comedian, political savant, and amazing commentator about the world, Francesca Fiorentini. So she's going to be on to season finale, close out season four, and tell us just her thoughts on the world, and hopefully some more fun period jokes. Um, So stay tuned. We love you all. Do all the things that make us know that you love us by subscribing and rating us and telling your friends and in the meantime keep calm and bleed everywhere and bleed everywhere